Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, we better make the most of it while it lasts. The Tour de France 2020 is finally underway. Whether the riders will actually make the finish line in Paris is still open for debate. But the racing so far, most of it has been close-fought and exciting. A team of ruler writers are gathered to pick through the significance of the stages so far and make some rash predictions for what's going to happen over the next few weeks. There was a great edition of La Course as well, and we'll hear from Lizzie Banks of Equipe Pulcar, how it feels to be back racing on the roads of Europe. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. I'm not sure what the collective noun for a group of editors is, but we've got one on this edition. Executive editor Ian Cleverly, editor Andy McGrath and desire editor Stuart Clapp. We're lucky to have Stuart with us here today because he's broken both his arms in. I'm not going to tell you how he broke both his arms. He can explain that later on. And also with us will be a contributor, Maria David. Welcome all. Um, it's been a good race so far, hasn't it? been a good tour. Before the tour started, I was in that mindset where I didn't think it should be taking place. And then as soon as it started, that all kind of melted away. And it was like, okay, I'm in full on Tour de France mode. And um, yeah, I've been loving it. It doesn't feel quite like the Tour de France to me. I'm not sure why. Not quite yet, because it's only been four stages. I still, still need to kind of get fully into the groove. But I'm getting there. There have been some really exciting bits, though, and, and some surprises already. As, as you say, we're only four or five days into it, but um, uh, there have been some surprises already, haven't there? I thought Tuesday's stage was a fascinating uh, insight into what we've got coming up ahead, you know, especially at the weekend with the two big mountain stages. So although it wasn't a, a massive mountain finish, it was enough to give you an indication of who's in decent shape and, and who isn't. When you see previously sort of fancied riders like Higita and Martinez dropping out the back and Carapaz and Enric Mass on a, you know, a not a particularly massive climb, you kind of think, oh, OK, um, at the weekend we're going to see a, a proper shaker. As for Jumbo Visma, they're just bossing it at the moment and Enios are, are on the ropes. But uh, you never know with Enios, do you? You never know what they've got up their trails legs. It was crazy. Watching yesterday, I know it's like, you know, it's, they, they're only dipping their toe in, into the mountains and obviously we have got the big ones to come. But to see what Jumbo Visma did to Enios yesterday, that was, that was insane. It was very... It was like watching Team Sky, what they, they would do to someone. Walt Van Aert would pull up the, the early part of that slope 
was ridiculous. The faces on the Ineos riders, they they really weren't having a good time. I, I can't remember which order the, the Ineos riders were, but I was looking back and the, you could see the pain on their face. And then obviously when Walt Van Aert pulled off, they just got swamped. The riders were coming round them. And I think it was Kawasaki that sort of turned round and went, who's going to come round? And it wasn't. It was just everyone else completely and utterly swamped. But obviously Bernal didn't lose any time. But someone messaged me during the day and they said, who's your money on for today? And uh, I thought Roglic would be good. Good shout, but I wasn't sure whether you would see any of the GC guys necessarily showing their hand at all, because he's very early, but um, obviously it is a race and it is commercial and they want to get their sponsors up there. So if they're going to win stages, they might as well win stages rather than come over the line. But no, it's insane. It was a really amazing stage. It is early days, but also there, there are still persistent rumours that the tour might not make it the full uh, journey to Paris and they might have to call uh, the race off after one of the rest days. Um, so in some ways, you've got to make sure that you're performing right from the start, haven't you? Absolutely. It's not just the usual suspects. I think there's a changing of the guard as well going on, isn't it, this year? A bit, yeah. But I think let's also talk about Caleb Ewan because um, I haven't heard people rhapsodise about a bunch sprint like that in years. Like the way that he he came round, you know, five, ten of the world's best sprinters like it was just Mario Karts and then beat Sam Bennett on the line. Psychologically, well, that must be hugely damaging to everyone else who isn't Caleb Ewan who wants to win a bunch of sprints. It was an amazing manoeuvre uh, right in that last sort of 100 metres or so, wasn't it? It was like a, it was like a sort of uh, last-minute track manoeuvre more than a road manoeuvre, really, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, we've got an interview with Caleb in Rio 20.7, which comes out at the end of October, where it's quite interesting that he says he doesn't regard himself as the fastest sprinter, but as the most versatile <laughs> Whereas I would argue that certainly on that evidence, he looks to be possibly both. Maria David, uh, welcome to the podcast. How much uh, of the tour have you managed to see so far? Yeah, sorry, I've just got in actually uh, from my travels. I literally drove down from the Lake District <laughs> at about 4am this morning. So, uh, and I've just sat down. <laughs> uh, I noticed, I mean, yesterday's stage, um, you know, into OCM Merlet, I was quite surprised uh, that it ended up you know, in this sort of um, bunch sprints, you know, and 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 not necessarily uh, with the um, the big contenders, you know, having a go, you know, just given that it was a, you know, sort of summit finish. One thing we must mention, it's so far, it's been a good tour for Slovenia, hasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, sort of uh, two of them there in the, in the top five. It, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? I think it's a country, the population of Wales or, or something like that, that keeps producing these stars. Uh, even though Roglic, he's kind of, a, kind of an outlier, isn't he? You know, the ski jumping background, which I think every single person knows is Primoz Roglic's fun fact if he's introducing himself to anyone. Like, it will be really interesting to see where it goes from here. Like, if they have Roglic and Pogacar, why not have a Slovenian Pro Conti team or a Slovenian World Tour team? Like, is that so crazy? Probably not, you know. There is um, a women's team that's sponsored um, by, you know, a Slovenian businesswoman. It's like Ljubljana. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Especially now with these two riders, you know, sort of contesting in the GC, if that there could be a springboard and a case for, like you say, just forming a, you know, men's professional world tour team. It'd be really interesting to see a women's team that then 
forms a, a men's team to go alongside it, wouldn't it? I think that's probably going to be the first time that's happened, isn't it? That would yeah. be a dream, wouldn't it? So what do we think? Overall, too early to make predictions and too, certainly too early to write off Ineos Grenadiers. Mm. I, would, I would say so, but um, the writing's on the wall for me. Um, I, I, I can't see that anybody's got the beating of Jumbo Visma in this race from, from what I've seen so far. Set Kuss has been an absolute revelation for me. I mean, you know, what, what, what helper that guy is. Absolutely amazing. Of course, they look very strong. I'm just a little bit concerned that they've been extremely strong through the whole of August. They're extremely strong on day four of the tour. But what's really important is being their best in two weeks' time, and especially mm. on the ultimate stage. So that's the mm. only big question mark. Like, can they get the like the yellow jersey? Can they hold it? And can they still hold that form all the way through? That's the only question for me. That last week does look pretty brutal, though, doesn't it? You know the penultimate stage, you know, you know, Planche des Belles B. But uh, even before that, you know, they've got this this long climb, you know, for Grand Colombier. That's followed by, you know, a couple of days after, you know, by by the big stage of uh, Col de la Loz, you know, which is, I mean, that's that's quite brutal, isn't it? I mean, that's effectively it's a sort of, you know, a, a, a cycle path, you know, that's uh, got a what a sort of twenty percent uh, gradient on it. And then immediately followed by um, the one that takes in Cormé de Roseland. You know, I guess that would be the Queen stage, you know, Cormé de Roseland. There's it's quite a lot to take on, you know, sort of in, in rapid succession. So I could imagine that Ineos would probably be sort of um, saving themselves for that week. It's going to be a fascinating couple of weeks. And let's hope that it does uh, go all the way. Um, Stuart, you will, of course, be watching a lot of the tour now because you can't do anything else. What have you actually done? I've broken uh, both my arms. <laughs> I've so I've broke the radius bone, you know, like in the sort of just below your elbow. I've broken the tops off of both of those. Um, was uh, deeply unpleasant, I'd say. I can imagine. How did you do it on your bike or? Ha! <laughs> no skateboarding. Before I was in cycling, I worked in skateboarding, uh, so I've never really had a proper job. And um, yeah, I was over the skate park and uh, hung up skating this rail. I went forward and usually like 999 times out of the thousand, I would just run out of it. But um, I hung up, fell forward, put my hands out. And uh, if anyone's eating at this point, right, mute me a second, right? (laughs) And um, I felt both my elbows move and and heard them um break oh. so yeah it was it was quite something um i got up and my hand my both my arms like below the elbow were just hanging there and i thought yeah they're they're broken stuart i probably won't be the first person to tell you that you may be a little bit too old to be doing skateboard tricks don't say that because i've i've just taken up roller skating <laughs> there you go right if it makes you happy, you do it, right? Because I, I fell off my bike a little while ago and people said, what, motorbike? You shouldn't be riding a bike. It's like, but people go on skiing holidays. When people come back from skiing holidays, it, invariably in some method of plaster up to their neck or something, people don't go to them, oh, aren't you too old to go on ski holidays? No, they don't. So I will continue to do it. I hope my wife shouldn't be listening to this, but I, if it makes me happy, I'm doing it. 
but I'm all right. I'm getting there. In fact, Adam Blythe phoned me from the back of, because you know, Adam Blythe's on the back of a motorbike for NBC, like, you know, like Brad did it for Eurosport at the tour. Adam Blythe's doing that. So he did the best FaceTime ever with me yesterday from the back of the Peloton with uh, all the riders going past. It was, it was quite amazing. It's like I couldn't, I couldn't hear a word he was saying, but then, you know, the people back in, in America that he's going to be broadcasting to will have, have to have a dictionary up. Hiya! <laughs> hey up! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know how his Yorkshire accent be going, but I'm sure he'd be, um, he'd be very popular over there. It's good that you're looking on the bright side, uh, Stuart, and we do all feel your pain. Um, you're listening to Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. So my name is Oren Peleg, and I'm an investor in Lacquer. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people onto wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis, and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think Lacquer's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. So on the opening day of the tour, we also had a much-delayed and much-changed La Course, a really exciting race to watch as it happened, with a well-deserved victory by Lizzie Dynion. Lizzie Banks of A Keep Poor Car is also having a good season, including a second place at GP Plouet, and she's back at her base in Switzerland, training hard for the Giro, but still excited about the weekend's racing. Ah, uh, La Course was a great race. Um, this is the third time I've raced it now, and... The atmosphere is always electric. Of course, this year was a bit different because there were crowd restrictions and stuff, we know, with the, the COVID guidelines and restrictions, which was, of course, sensible. But it's still got this, um, I don't know, yeah, just electric atmosphere and, you know, grandiosity that you don't get with any other bike race. And when you're driving in and you see the big banners for the Tour de France and you're like, oh, fucking hell, this is the Tour de France. Um, and it just it just feels so cool. And People often complain about courses, but the way a course is played out depends on the bike riders, not always on the course. And the women always go to La Course and we always want to make a show. And so that's exactly what happened. So it was a really cool race. Yeah, OK, we didn't get the result we wanted because we, of course, we wanted to have someone up the road in that group. But um, at the end of the day, it was still a great experience. And um, we gave our young rider, Michaela Harvey, a chance in the final and tried to lead her out for the best result because we're trying to get her higher, high up the uh, UCI U23 standings. But it was a, a proper full-on attacking race from the start, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And we, we fully expected that. You know, having had a look at the course and before we even reconned it, we kind of thought, why wouldn't you go full gas from the gun? We knew it was a roughly half-hour climb and then a flat section into Nice. But if the sprinters come back on the first lap, they're just going to get dropped on the second lap. So we knew it was going to be full gas. And uh, yeah, it was the only way it was going to be raced because it was such a short race at 96k that you can go absolutely flat out. So uh, thankfully in our race, we avoided the rain because you saw the carnage in the men's race. And obviously, you know, if you've only got one day and you don't want something like that to affect it. So we were really fortunate that we had 
a mostly dry race. Actually, the first time down the descent, it started sprinkling with rain and I was, you know, getting a little bit nervous, but but it was okay. And um, yeah, no, it was a great race and uh, just a brilliant atmosphere. Once the season actually got underway, it's been uh, not bad for you, has it? But earlier on, you got uh, second at uh, GP Plouet behind uh, Lizzie Dynion. Yeah, so it, we started off with Strada and then my teammate Leia Thomas got third there and got onto the podium, which was just a brilliant result. It was the first race back with our new sponsor, Akeep Pulka, with Pulka, the sponsor as the team name, Akeep Pulka. Yeah, so that was a great result. And then, you know, we took that momentum and then took it into GP Plouet and we had a really strong team there and we knew that we had loads of cards to play. My teammate, Marlon Reuser, was, she'd made an attack and as it came back, I then counted hers and I knew it was a bit far to go. It was still 35k to the finish, but it was raining and anything can happen and I was always going to commit to it. And then Lizzie Dagnan from Trek Segafredo and Yip van den Bos from Bowles came across and I thought, oh, this is perfect. Like, you know, we've got three teams, you know, nobody's going to, or, you know, there's not going to be that much intent to chase us. Then we lost Yip. I didn't really, I didn't actually know what happened in the race. We went over this tricky section where there's a descent and a sharp right-hand turn and then a bridge and then a sharp left-hand turn. And I went through first and just went through a bit faster then looked back and realised neither of them were there, then saw Lizzie coming around the corner. And uh, yeah, Yip had unfortunately just like clipped the hedge coming around the corner. So at that point, I kind of thought, mm, I don't know if we're going to make it because it's just, you know, it's just us and Trek and are people going to chase behind? But actually, because there'd been a crash and people were chasing back on and, you know, the race dynamics meant that we were able to 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 hold the gap, even though... <laughs> Uh, even though we had very unreliable time gaps. And I think at one point it came back down to 20 seconds. It went out to about a minute 20, then came back down to 20. But um, we were getting terrible time gaps. And at the, at the end, my director actually thought I was in the bunch and was saying, you know, oh, get on this wheel for the sprint and do this. And <laughs> and so, you know, we were going full gas until the finish, really, because we really didn't know how close they were behind us. But yeah, in the end, uh, it came down to two up sprint between Lizzie and I. And I knew what I needed to do. I knew I needed to come from behind her because it's a long headwind uphill sprint, but I just couldn't get behind her. And that was really where Lizzie's experience showed through. You know, she's uh, been a prolific winner for the last 10 years and I've really only just come onto the scene. So yeah, I mean, I learned a lot. I was obviously really happy with second, but equally I really wanted to win and we are still chasing that win. Um, but you know, every day is a school day and I feel like I learned so much and yeah, it was just awesome to get that result for, for my team as well and, and with the teamwork that set it up as well. And how's it been racing in Europe in the current circumstances with quarantine and distancing and all the changes and so on? I think the thing that I find most challenging is that when I'm at home, I can control all of my interactions and well, I, I just don't interact with anyone when I'm at home. I do my training rides. I know where certain taps are in the Peak District, so I use those and I take my hand gel. And, you know, occasionally I might stop at a petrol station and pick up some something to drink or eat or something. But we really have very limited interactions. We braved once going out for a meal. Um, but other than that, we really keep ourselves to ourselves and just, you know, occasionally go to the shops. But it's difficult when you're away. You know, you have to go out to eat because you're with the team and you don't have a choice and you're constantly moving around, you're constantly interacting with 
yes, you've got this bubble in inverted commas, but it's not really a bubble because you, you, you know, you're interacting with hotel staff, you're traveling, you're in service stations, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And, and of course we use hand gel, we use, we use masks, we are as careful as we can be because at the end of the day, we're professional athletes and our health is the most important thing that allows us to do our jobs. But it is a big challenge. Um, I have to say, before I returned to racing, I did have some anxiety about, uh, you know, returning to racing before I perhaps felt it was, you know, the world was ready ready to do so. And perhaps there being more risk than I felt there should be. But I came to the point where, you know, I understood that this is my job and, and I have to do it. And, you know, I'll take as many precautions as I can. But um, yeah, there are risks. And obviously, you know, going to a a COVID red zone <laughs> be with Nice with the Tour de France was a, a a little bit kind of yeah it wasn't ideal really but we stayed in a little village outside of Nice so we weren't in the city and it wasn't really busy and we kind of got in and got out so yeah it's a challenge um, but at the end of the day we're professionals it's our job and we've got to do everything we can to mitigate the risks of coronavirus the risks of you know catching coronavirus and um and just carry on now you mentioned the team uh, name equipe paul car which was uh, the team of, of course until recently was um uh, bigler katusha um and uh it must be a it must be a relief that a, another sponsor was uh, was found for the team but also uh, you're staying with them for a while aren't you you've got another two seasons yeah so i decided to stay with the keep paul car for two more seasons and well, for a number of reasons, really. Um, we have a brilliant group of riders here and we are retaining the corporate group of riders. And I just think I just think we're really onto something. It's really pretty rare, I think, for a group of people from all over the world, from all different backgrounds to get together and all get along, all be really strong, all love to race together and spend time together. And it's just a great dynamic. And all of us are kind of unknowns that have come from nowhere and Thomas has kind of helped develop us and like helped us understand understand racecraft as well because all, all of us were strong I guess we were all strong but a bit stupid <laughs> and uh, and so he's really kind of helped us understand everything and and I just think that there's so much more development that that I can do tactically as well as physically and I don't feel like I'm ready to move to a bigger team yet and really I do think this is the best place for me to continue my development and um yeah, I mean, it's a great team. We have loads of great riders and I like it here. <laughs> and it's the Giro next, yeah? That, that, that must be the big one. Yes, it is. So that starts in a week's time and it's nine days. And then it's looking like we're actually going to have the World Championships afterwards as well. But um, of course, we're all focused on the Giro now. We're training in Andermatt in our base up in the Swiss Alps here. So yeah, we're all getting ready for it. Uh, the selection will take place just before we go, actually. So we'll we'll all get the COVID tests and then the selection will be made at the last minute. And then, yeah, we'll travel down to Italy for uh, hopefully an exciting Giro, which is televised this year as well, which is pretty exciting because in previous years, it's been hard to even find a results sheet. So it's proof that women's cycling is moving forward. And uh, I think it's going to be on the GCN race pass. So 
watch out for us. We will. Lizzie, thank you for joining us and uh, wish you and the team well for the rest of the season. Thank you. That's Lizzie Banks of Equipe Paul Carr. Uh, Maria, you've been following the story of Donon des Velo, which is a, a French team, and they're part of a campaign to get a full women's stage race, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, Donon des Velo is actually um, it's actually an offshoot of a of a Paris-based uh, um, uh, women's racing team. Um, they're just based in the suburbs of Paris, and um, one of their sort of captains in that club, um, a lady called Claire Florit. I think she she uh, she began. I think it was about um, five or six years ago in, in 2015. Um, this this unit called Donon Lazello Velo. It was actually a, a ride known as uh, J J minus one J as in Jour minus one. <laughs> Um, and the idea was that, uh, yeah, they would ride um, the route of that particular year's Tour de France one day ahead of the professionals. Um, so she began to do this as this campaign, really, um, just to uh, revive a women's Tour de France. And did they do it this year? Yeah, they did it this year against the odds. They did it this year, although um, it was known as the M-1 ride because they, they actually did it uh, one month ahead of the professionals. But yes, um, this, this campaign um, has been going since 2015. Um, and really it was to raise the profile of women's racing, uh, women's professional racing, and also to campaign for um, a women's Tour de France. And I, I mean, I have to say that I know that there are all these various rides that take place, you know, sort of along similar themes every year. Um, but this one particularly uh, attracted my, my interest because they have actually had backing, you know, say from um, various like sponsors and French stakeholders, um, things like the minister, the Ministry for um, Equality, um, the Ministry for Women, um, and I think also a little bit of money from the the Ministry for Sports too. So they received a you know sort of public funding um, from the French government, as well as sponsorship from uh, Skoda um, and Live Giant. Uh, and other sort of companies, I think Castelli have provided their kit. And uh, this year, um, they were actually met by Christian Prudhomme um, when they did uh, stage 14 of this year's Tour de France, uh, which goes from Clermont-Ferrand to Lyon. Um, and, it, and that also happens to be a very similar um, route to the first stage of the Dauphiné Livre. So, um, so during um, that time when they met um, uh, Christian Prudhomme um, during the Dauphiné Libre and while they were riding stage 14 um, of this year's Tour de France and um, then yeah they they had a bit of a discussion and and I think and uh, Prudhomme basically congratulated them on on their efforts and said that yes um, thanks to their efforts that has been uh, a, a factor in them um, deciding to host a women's uh, Tour de France or a women's stage race. A women's stage race uh, not next year but the year after? Yes, yes, in, yeah, in 2022, yeah. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that story. Stuart, um, how are the Desire photo shoots looking? I, well, the next one, I'm just finalising it now, but this one, I've been... It's taken a bit of legwork. I've been, been trying to get this one arranged since January. I think I should have confirmation today of the date and everything. I've, uh, it's all going ahead. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to jinx it. But basically... Uh, we're going to do a shoot in another haunted location, which everyone will be pleased to hear about. Can I, shall I say, shall I, I risk? I, you could, you could give them two jam song titles and, and see if they work it out from that. 
Oh, okay. Uh, down in the tube station at midnight and uh, going underground. Are you bombing Wardour Street? Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's not far, actually, from Wardour Street. Um, but, yeah, uh, so we've got that. And th- that's going to be... That's going to be amazing. Uh, I mean, this location will, will I don't know. I think it's got the potential to be up there with the Spitfires. But yeah, that's it, really. And that's it from this edition of Ruler Conversations. Um, I'm Ian Parkinson. Thanks to Ian Cleverly, Andy McGrath, uh, Maria David and Stuart Clapp. There's a Ruler Long Reads podcast along next week. Stay safe and keep watching the racing. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.